Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to... (laughs) Welcome to I can't even I can't even do it. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer Welcome on the Legal to Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer's belly. <laughs> and uh, this this may be a Lawyer to Lawyer unlike any we've recorded before. And I'm not even sure if it's Lawyer to Lawyer or if it's a different podcast called Foss Plus Beer. But we are here at uh, Barrels Brewery in Denver, Colorado, which happens to be adjacent to the World International Headquarters of the Legal Talk Network, which hosts Woo-hoo. Lawyer to Lawyer. And uh, with me are some folks from the Legal Talk Network and also the entire cast and crew and production supervisors and everybody else from the podcast Foss Plus Beer, which Or we, is, just, uh, call, we just call it Foss Beer. Well, why do you have the plus in it then? I don't know. Why do we have a plus It's in understood, it? I believe. It's a like silent plus, plus sign. Yeah. It's a silent plus, it's a silent yeah. plus All right. sign. All right. Well, they are here. They do a, a great podcast about Foss and we'll explain what that is, maybe, at some point in this podcast. And about beer, which we all do know what that is. So um, maybe I, I do want to just like quickly bow to tradition and go around the table and have you all introduce yourselves so we can associate the name with the voice. So who wants to go first? I don't know. Boops. To, to your left. I'm Boops the Beer Man. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. No, 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 we're going to stop right there because, oh. Boops, you're anonymous on your podcast. I heard a rumor that we could actually out you on this podcast today and identify you by a name other than Boops the Beer Man. He's a figure of mystery. This has you, never happened before. Actually, you could, you could say my real name mystery. and most people would say, wait, is that Boops? <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's the way I travel a little bit. So, yes, it's, we're, we're welcome to, to, to put it out there and we can post it online. Go online. And, uh, and find my real name. And you're even on LinkedIn, I understand. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. I, I turned my three profiles into one. So <laughs> Does LinkedIn let you list as Boops the Bear Man, or do you have to? Oh, actually, I should add that. that thanks for the reminder. Good. Okay, good. Because you, you, you need another uh, LinkedIn profile to go with the three that you already can't manage. We like to call them aliases, my friend. <laughs> They're all aliases all right. with your actual right. name. And then next, from, also from the Foss plus or minus beer podcast. Boo. No, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. Hey, easy, easy. Yeah, hi, I'm Mark. Marco. Hi, this is Mark. Mark. Give us a name. And you got a last name? Yeah, Mark Donald. Okay. One of the three hosts of Foss Beer, and we, we do, we have this kind of running joke about legal podcasts and resumes. I will say that I did win the uh, fourth grade class prize for the bike rodeo at Kellogg Elementary in 1977. And you're a, a recovering or not recovering lawyer? Not no, sure still, lawyer. still a lawyer. No recovery. Okay. okay. Congrats on that win, by the way. Big win. <laughs> Big win. My friend Kevin Turner beat me for the school overall prize. He got a giant trophy. All I got is a sad little plaque, but I still have it. It's a plaque. And I'm Jelaine Lovejoy, also a current not-yet-recovering lawyer and the 2001 winner of the Boulder Short Track Mountain Bike Series. <laughs> Good for you. So that's all I'm going to give you on my resume. Well known okay. fact. Good for you. I also like ballroom dancing and long walks on the beach. And now from the Legal Talk Network. <laughs> I am uh, Chad Jolly. I am a software developer with Legal Talk Network. And I most certainly understand what FOSS means and what the plus is for in that name. 
I'm not familiar with either. My name is Trent Carlisle. I am one of the founders of Logical, the owner of Legal Talk Network. And uh, this is my uh, podcasting debut, believe it or not. So, Same. thanks also for... sitting here with us is Lawrence Coletti, our intrepid producer who uh, produces all of, the, all of the podcasts, right, for the Legal Talk Network uh, and does a, does a really great job at it. Well, that about eats up all of our time, so uh, we'll uh, no. Yeah, your episodes are a lot shorter than ours, Bob. I think uh, I think we tend to we have an initiative this year to try to keep our episodes under two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which actually stay awake for the entire episode. Is that- it, it actually coincides perfectly with the average commute in the United States for a lawyer. <laughs> it probably does. So I, I guess the next question has to be, uh, how's the beer? And- and, and what are you drinking? So, so on our format, Bob, what we do is we tease the beers. You tease. So we beers. talk about the brewery first. We try to add a little color and history about about the brewery itself, and then at the end of the episode, we talk about the specific beers we've been drinking and what we think about them. If so, we're so not should, too yeah. drunk, so should we invite the bartender over? Or well, we, I don't have to say the, the head brewer who or is actually sure. yeah, uh, yeah, well. actually is he here. right here. He is here. Uh, can we bring him over? I didn't do the uh, research on this brewery, which is normally my task, but right. I'm yeah. kind of guessing that you guys, being that you share a wall with the brewery, does mean you guys, I'm pointing at the Legal Talk Network guys, might know a little bit about the history of this brewery. Maybe you can kind of enlighten us. Uh, well, wh- what I can tell you is when we first moved into this space, this was just a empty warehouse. I could give you more history on the, the business that was here, but... Uh, this mostly served as a temporary office space for us and a wiffle ball stadium. We spent a lot of time uh, playing wiffle ball home run derby. I saw uh, racquetball that outside as well. There, there, yeah, there, and we made up some racquetball games. But uh, luckily, someone came in and decided they wanted to rent this space. And uh, since then, we've uh, had a wonderful neighbor who has served us uh, amazing beer, and it's delightfully and scarily too close. Right. I think Ra- actually- rather than have us explain the history of the brewery, we have we the have brewer, an expert, the head yeah. brewer, who can who can sit here and so. Tell us, what's your, who, what's your, who are you? So, uh, hello everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> My name's Eric Nichols. I'm the head brewer here at Barrels Beer Company. What's your dad's name? My dad's name is Richard, aka Dick Dick Nichols, which we'll eventually be naming a beer after, and we're excited about. But uh, we're excited to have you guys here for for this podcast. So you guys want to hear the quick, we, quick and dirty history? Yeah, yeah, the history and like what your distribution is. And sure, sure. So the original concept was developed by a couple out here uh, who have been together for a long time and grew up in Colorado. They fell in love with this neighborhood a couple years ago and have a big passion for barrel-aged beers. So our focus is always, uh, and more and more will be on barrel-aged products, so we're really excited to be rolling out more and more barrel-aged beers as we uh, mature as a company. Uh, we're about 10 months old, excited for our year anniversary coming up here. But, um, you know, they were home brewers, and just like myself was a home brewer, they became passionate about the, the beer industry, the craft beer industry in specific, me as well. So uh, they hired me after I finished up my brewing school and had a little stint at Avery Brewing Company up in Boulder. And since then, uh, we've been kind of you know, brewing anything that we like to drink, and that's always been our focus. And more and more, we're going to be uh, putting that beer into barrels and uh, expanding the the varieties of uh, barrel-aged beers that are available to the market. So, can can our listener 
find your beers anywhere outside of Denver? So no, right now. Um, we are just starting to slowly distribute. Um, we're definitely going to be focusing on in-state and even more specifically Denver. Okay. Um, so it's going to be a while before we're out of state. You know, that's that's a little ways away. Um, it's, not, it's not out of the question when it might happen, but um, until now, we kind of want to focus on our, our local community. This we've, is th- we've spoken a lot about this about the uh, the neighborhood brewery that that becomes the lifeblood of a of a neighborhood and that's brilliant love mm-hmm. it it seems like there are a lot in this neighborhood well it's and, the thing there are a lot of breweries it's a crowded in this neighborhood. neighborhood you walk up the street there it's absolutely like every other are, block yeah. has a brewery and and we, we are all um, we're all friends and we love the fact and that's one of the, we love the fact that there's so many breweries you in even this have neighborhood a brewery here that you've collaborated on and we, we we've collaborated with all of the breweries in in this neighborhood and we're excited about it and we want this neighborhood to be you know, not only a neighborhood brewery, but also a destination for all of Denver um, and all of Colorado when they when they want to go out and you know drink a bunch of fun, unique, different craft beer. Because all of us have our little bit of a little bit of twist. You know, uh, whether you know it's a brewery roasting their own malts, or a brewery focusing on sours, or a brewery focusing on a red ale. We have it. We have it all in this neighborhood. So that was one of the, the draws to this neighborhood for the owners to want to, you know, open up the brewery in this in this area. A- so. Any thoughts toward bottling or canning? So packaging is a it's a tough game, and uh, we want to make sure that we maintain the integrity of the beer. And uh, before we package, we're going to make sure that we have enough capital to make sh- to make sure that we have the best packaged beer we can. Makes sense. Um, so until we get that point, um, we've been kind of holding off on on packages other than kegs so you Uh, have to come to the source yes so that's and that's the point we want you to be able to come to the source and walk around this neighborhood look look at all the local you know artists as well as have uh the the beer from the neighborhood too well this is a nice space we really are are glad you guys had us here cool we're we're super happy to have you guys and also this makes our job much easier i've got a good question pick me no but it's you know we're on radio so we can just raise our hand and we get in when we we come in so quick question and this actually probably tends toward the legal side of things sure barrels brewery yep uh, with the, you know, the the spelling is actually probably a last name at this point, it's right? So, it's like so the mineral, does, right? have you have it's you had any legal issues surrounding yeah. the? It's an the, element in in a in a mineral barrel, which uh, the state gemstone is aquamarine. So it's spelled completely different than you know the barrel that you actually are aging things. But in. but there's a confusion issue that potentially, if somebody were to say. I'm going to Barrels Brewery. Yeah. That perhaps you has have you had any of those issues arise? Generally not. I'm pretty sure we bought the domain name or at least something uh, with B A R R E L S. So if people type in Barrels Beer Company, I think it will punt you to B E R Y L S. Do you need a lawyer to handle your intellectual property <laughs> issues? Probably. Where, 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 where by the way, I'm like, the one at the table that's not the lawyer. Where, where, <laughs> why are you bringing up the legal trademark issues? <laughs> yeah, no, where, but it, it does help. It does help with the trademark issue table. because if we were, whenever we come up with a beer name, if we throw barrels in front of it, we're pretty much secure. Because it's spe- it's spelled completely differently, yeah. And it, it is actually a unique name because nobody out there absolutely spells it. Who would name brewery it. barrels? Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it helps with that, and that's kind of a a happy side effect of us wanting to bring in the Colorado aspect of it and Aquamarine being the state gemstone. So we don't have to worry too much about the legal issues yet. Fortunately, you think? 
fortunately. Well, that, that saved us a you ton hope. of research because usually we have to like learn all these facts about yeah. the brewery that we feature on each episode on sure. our podcast. Sure. And uh, so very handy. Thank you for, for the explanation. Of course. Of yeah. I'm glad it. you guys were here. Thanks for coming in tonight. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for hosting us. We really appreciate it. This is great. It, it seems like we maybe should let this come back to you two, uh, to, to Bob and Lawrence, and maybe you guys redirect this uh, conversation. Oh, I, I like them when, when I don't have to ask any questions. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the best. I've heard your questions. Your questions are great. It's great. Well, do you want to talk about the beer? Do we want to go around just like, what do you think of the beer? Right? So usually we do that at the end. At the end. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we tease the beer. We're running this podcast minutes in. anyway. No, no I've only got 10 minutes. A lot more beers so. to try. So. All right. Well, <laughs> then, then my next question is word or word perfect. That's very oh, funny, God. based on our prior conversations. <laughs> and, you know, as a guy who's dealt with legal technology for 20-plus years, um, and finally, you know, through you, honestly, Bob, got, getting exposed to more of the Legal Talk, Net, Talk Network um, offerings, it's interesting to hear that despite the large number of intelligent people and smart lawyers that, that you guys have podcasting on the network, they are dealing with the same horrible questions that I was banging my head against the wall from since 1995. Lawyers are still talking about this stuff. Well, and that's, and that's what's funny. Is, and we, is that the word perfect debate remains at least sort of alive? I mean, I'm not sure how many lawyers out there are really talking about it. It's not alive in the space it. I live in. I'll tell you that much. Well, I, I mean, I don't know whose space it's alive in. I'll, I'll <laughs> go along with that. It, it, but it, it, the it fact that people are still talking about it means that somebody is still talking about it. It does kind of lead into something that we thought about talking about from, from the open source perspective for um, this episode, and, and that was a, a kind of teaser and tidbit and, and bit of information that Jelaine got a lead on in, I believe, Barcelona a couple weeks ago regarding LibreOffice. Yeah, well, it was in the news. Well, um, I got I to stop that. you right there because we, we are going to have listeners who have no idea what FOSS stands for. So let's stop right now. <laughs> okay, we'll rewind. And, we'll and come let's back rewind and Bookmark say, there. what the heck is FOSS? So FOSS stands for Free and Open Source Software. Um, which is really a combined term, I would say. And in, in there is a term you often hear, which is just open source software. And you also hear free software. There are sort of philosophical differences and history behind those two terms. Practically speaking, it's usually referring to the same thing, which is software offered under a copyright license that grants a lot of freedoms and has some conditions on it, so it's still a license, not public domain. But it, free is a sort of problematic word in the English language because we usually think of free as in no cost. In other languages, we have a different word to talk about free as in freedom, like libre. So sometimes you'll even see floss, which would be free and libre open source software. But there's also a very free famous... Free as well. Exactly. It's a very... Thank you for the lead-in. Free beer is the most powerful term famous, in the English language. There's uh, a famous quote, or I think it's a famous, famous quote, by Richard Stallman, who's considered the father of the free software move- movement in the U.S., in trying to explain from what the free and the free software means. Yeah, exactly, from MIT originally. And his quote was, um, it's free as in freedom, not free as in beer. And so hence the lovely sort of tie-in to our podcast name and, and the tie-in to beer, you know, gee, because we needed such an excuse. And I find myself a lot of times just throwing that out there when I'm talking to people like, well, you know, that license is actually kind of free as in, fr- as in beer, 
not freeze in freedom or so forth and so on. Right. <laughs> Sometimes people look at me like, what the heck are you talking about? And, and the genesis for our podcast really um, comes from a couple of sources. A, my wild and ridiculous podcast addiction in general. B, um, there there is a very, very good, very substantive podcast called Freeze in Freedom that deals with open source legal topics in a very substantive way. And we semi-intentionally picked the name Foss Beer to focus on the funner side of doing a legal podcast. We well, wanted gonna, to not be quite We had to as, mention Linux, out, Linux Outlaws. Yeah, Linux Outlaws was the other big inspiration. And, and more like in between those Yeah, two Dan things. and Fab did a podcast for years. They sadly quit, and I, and I will guiltily admit that my um, 12-year-old son... Linux Outlaws is his favorite podcast, uh, which is a little bit... Where have you gone wrong with it? Considering that these guys drink heavily on their podcast and go into these long rants, which are only aided by one of the host's very thick German accents, but a very good podcast based on on open source topics and, and very fun. So we wanted to be maybe in the middle ground there. And we actually came up with the concept for the podcast at a Colorado craft brewery and we thought, hey, this this will be our, our kind of angle. We, we will add in. We'll talk about open source legal topics in a substantive way for our, our main topic each episode. But we will also talk about uh, the beer that we're featuring. And we have a couple other segments that we regularly do. Nerd and Tell is one of them, as well as uh, talking about using open source software in projects. So I've worked as, a, as an in-house lawyer. I've worked in a law firm. And I've in both of those contexts, I've managed legal technologies um, and I've also worked as a, as a consultant for other in-house departments and with a big focus on using open source solutions, mostly because they were actually just the best solutions for the issues that I was facing. I, I had lots of use cases where open source was better than the commercial solutions. So we feature an actual hands-on tech piece, not quite as useful as some of the other Legal Talk Network sections where they say, here's the hint or tip you can use within the next two minutes after you turn off this podcast. But some of mine are a little more esoteric, but kind of the, the, the same idea. Here's yeah. something you can actually use. And it's been a, a fun journey. We've been doing it for about 14 months now. So let's bring Jelaine back to Barcelona. And, <laughs> and leave her, <laughs> And leave her office. I, I just wanted to get that background before you start talking about that because I wasn't sure everybody understood what we were talking about. Yeah, but, no, so there's a... And, and let me, I'm not let me unpack so that. What is, and what is LibreOffice? Right, so um, the Barcelona reference is to um, a very awesome event that I have been privileged enough to attend for the last five years that the Free Software Foundation Europe puts on every year, called, uh, which is a legal and licensing workshop. It's held under the Chatham House rule, which means that I can tell you about what was talked about, but I can't tell you uh, who said what. Uh, Mark Jeez, is pointing at his T-shirt because I brought him back one from, from another event over there. He's proudly wearing his I Love Free Software FSFE T-shirt. It is a cool Yay! T-shirt. Is. And um, anyway, well, your, so... Yours it's is a, pretty cool, too. A, yeah, we've got our nerd out for tonight. <laughs> so... Anyway, I was just at this workshop uh, two weeks ago, and just before that, LibreOffice, which is an open source or free software alternative to, you know, things like Word and WordPerfect, announced that they were going to develop an online version. And so we got talking about this over lunch with some of the other attendees at the conference, and and I and actually you mean like a cloud hosted version. Well, so here's the thing. So the, the, actually, to be honest, the way the conversation started was 
I was going to save this for our podcast, but I'll put it here. <laughs> it, may, it may be completely Sorry. lost on the attendees. But one of the lawyers who I knew who is attending, who lives in Berlin, and he had flown over on some local airline that I'd never heard of, and he had with him the tourist kind of tourism... The in-flight magazine? Yeah, right. That's like totally all about like highlighting different tourist not, destinations. Not Sky Mall, though, right? No, not Sky Mall. <laughs> that went out of business, right? <laughs> no, Le- Libre Air. still reads that. I think the one company <laughs> services every airline. I think they went out of business. No. I thought I heard. So, Libre <laughs> Office featured in Sky Mall. Well, so, yo, he had this touristy magazine, very slick, beautiful, high-gloss magazine, and it had all these sort of profiles of different cities and Munich was featured as the open source city and and the reason Munich was featured that way is because Munich did a very amazing thing as did another city in Germany which I don't know the name of off the top of my head and they actually just severed ties with Microsoft and implemented LibreOffice in um, well they went further than that and they, they, they implemented desktop Linux as well yes I think that's right so anyway, just to bring it back to what we were talking about. So we started the conversation with that, and, and, and we were just commenting that like open source has really gone mainstream if it's made it into the, the chair back pocket on an airline. But then we started talking about what was going on in Munich, because there's a few people from Germany who had interesting insights. And then we started talking about LibreOffice in particular. And I said, you know, what I'm wondering as a lawyer is how are the city attorneys in Munich dealing with using... LibreOffice to negotiate contracts because lawyers are so married to, I would say, Word, not even Word Perfect. And so then we got talking about that and the troubles that... They are married to Word. Yeah. That's the standard. And just the troubles that lawyers have just even... um, I mean, someone had a great example of trying to negotiate a contract and then actually even deciding, look, we're going to use this version of Word and, and that's what we're going to pass the documents around in. And, and even still deciding that, they had formatting and kind of return document problems because the lawyers they were dealing with spanned several different countries and so there's different country versions and yeah. it still didn't be loyal to the version yeah. number. And so then we started talking about LibreOffice Online and the possibility that you could have an instance of LibreOffice online on a private server, and then I provide you my you know, login info, and so we're negotiating a contract, and you don't have to worry about integrity of the document sort of changing as you pass it back but and how, forth. But how feasible is that? I mean, given how much lawyers are married <laughs> to Word question, and how Bob. extensive Word is in the legal community, how likely is it that we're gonna like see this mass conversion to open source to Libre? Well, so, I, Mark, so I, I remember I was hearing you talk about having a list of standards for communications in these legal talks. Is that fall into that, that range? So what I was talking about is a list of technology standards and practices for engaging outside counsel when you are when you're in-house and you you have a a lot of platforms and you want them to work within them. I I can imagine the screaming and revulsion if you tried to say, we're going to use ODF as our document exchange format and you have to translate your Word docs, even though Word now will, I think, ingest ODF documents just fine. But they don't, you can't spit out ODF from a doc format, from Word. So for the listeners who aren't I don't know if that's true anymore, Flame. I'm pretty sure. Imagine there's a converter. Mac, but I mean, so just in case we lost a few listeners on that, so you, your your documents <laughs> we're losing them fast. It doesn't matter. Your documents that. have a have a suffix. Fosbier only has one listener, so and he's yeah, very. He's, you guys don't have this problem. He's solid. Listener. He's he's awesome. he's, he's very loyal. We have Chad sitting here, who is who is a programmer. 
I am and, indeed, yeah. Uh, so you want to explain the different you, I, I'm just kind of wondering how much you're using open source software in the work that you're doing. And to what extent is open source software performing the basis for stuff that you're doing and work that you're doing? Yeah. Um, the stuff we do is majority based on the web. And so I would say almost 100% of our software that we utilize is based in open source. So your, your stacks are open source based? Yeah, our, uh, so we use a framework called Ruby on Rails primarily, which is, for the lawyers out there, licensed under the MIT license, which basically means... A very permissive license. It is a very permissive license. Enjoy. You can take this source code and you can change it and make it your own and you do not have to make those changes available up to the community. Whether or not you want to Whether or is not a you want question. To. Exactly. And so we encourage our team if we find something that is uh, could be improved or a bug, for, for instance, in Ruby on Rails, we encourage our team to fix that bug and push the fix back up to that team for them to review and potentially integrate into the framework. Oh boy, Why here come questions from Jelaine. Well, uh, well, we get it for free. We love the framework, and it helps us. Let alone the uh, you know hundreds perhaps millions of other people that are using this framework yeah. so like, when you have Chad, wouldn't you normally want to like <laughs> protect that proprietary IP and just only use it for yourself as some differentiator or <laughs> advantage competitively uh, great question Jolene <laughs> so there is a part of our software that we protect as our proprietary intellectual property however we build on top of a set of libraries and frameworks that can all agree is like, you know, when you're starting to build a house, like, all right, we need to plumb this thing and we need to frame up the walls and put some drywall on the walls. The things that everyone has agreed on, this is the way we do this. Behind those walls, we have some stuff that is things that we would not share. However, for the majority, it's good to uh, give back to the community because we benefit greatly from contributions from other people around the planet that are putting back into this framework, for instance, security fixes, speed improvements, mundane things that don't have to do with our business model. And to the extent that, that you contribute back code into the community, there's always the possibility that those very issues, efficiency and security, might be improved by someone else. Absolutely. Yeah, and when you have, you know, let's say 10 eyes versus a hundred eyes versus a million eyes or the world's eyes on this code, you are going to identify places in that code that can be improved by the community, especially in regard to security. Jelaine, buy him a beer. So, yeah, I mean, so I just want to, for the, the non-techies in the audience, so I would call that upstreaming your code or your changes. Yep. And that was an awesome explanation, so thank you very much. I, I think that just captures perfectly the reality that we are in today, um, I think maybe four or five years ago, it was all about consuming open source software or free software. I think now companies, small and large, you guys being a yeah. relatively small company, are realizing the benefits of engaging with the community and upstreaming the modifications you make, even if it's not required by the license. Because maintaining that fork, meaning that modified version that you took, pulled the code down, you modified it, you're not required to um, upstream those or contribute back those modifications, but then that means that you have to maintain that change or that fork, that different um, 
version on your own. And so I think you just really captured the, the reality, which is really hard probably for a lot of IP lawyers to understand and the benefits of that. That if you put that back up, then everybody benefits. So there's a public common good factor. But then you also benefit that everybody can build and then on top of that. Yeah. It's really about not reinventing the wheel, basically, to use a horrible cliche. But when you have a lot of people working on that wheel, that doesn't matter in terms of the business use case that you're uh, putting that software to. Everyone is starting out, you know, 100 yards ahead of if you had for instance, just built the software from the ground up, which no one's doing anymore. It would be crazy to do that, actually. That's a, a great kind of insight onto the process there for developing. But, Bob, getting back to stuff that's probably more core to your audience. Well, before you get back to that, we need to take a short break. We will be right back, so stay with us. Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No. With most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And even if you have an existing legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are talking today about free and open source software, about beer, about, <laughs> about podcasting. Nerd alert. Uh, about the fact that Two of our guests on this show have the names Jolly and Lovejoy as their last <laughs> names, and, and about other topics. But on a semi-serious note, I guess, Chad, you just made a point in your comments just before we took a break about the idea that pretty much any software out there these days has open source software as part of it. And so for the open source software attorneys on this panel, I'm kind of wondering, a standard a requirement for commercial developers of software is that they indemnify that their, their software, that they talk about the fact that this is free of uh, you know any, any kind of infringement, uh, that this is theirs, that they've developed it. So when their software incorporates open source software, are they required to somehow indemnify the open source software? That depends on the bargaining powers of the parties, Bob. And I will say that subject to some nuances, that, that's generally correct. I mean, when you license commercial software, it, it is generally within the realm of, of uh, and I'll say this sort of historically um, commercially acceptable terms that you require indemnity for certain kinds of claims. That said, I, I think there's a fair trade-off in any negotiation. Would you really like us to charge you the full cost of developing something from the ground up versus we can leverage this open source stack 
and it is more and more common that I found that your warranties and indemnities will actually disclaim the open source portion. So yeah. you understand that the, that the solution that you're buying or licensing from us is built on an open source stack. It includes a bunch of Ruby stuff. It includes a bunch of client-side uh, JavaScript stuff. And uh, as for our original code, sure, we'll warrant that. I realize that's not terribly sort of actionable for a, a licensor in that they don't have necessarily a lot of clarity. You can almost always find a commercial alternative for most of the stuff you want to buy. It's just that the cost is kind of outrageous um, in terms of, of paying for those. But the point that is, that even in the commercial software, this there is open source software in that commercial. Yes and no. I would just and assume a, that there's open source software in any software. That, that's that would probably, be my starting point yeah, assumption. Yeah, that's but probably. I, so is this coming up? Is the identification absolutely. issue coming up? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think obviously it depends on which side of the fence you're on, right? If you're purchasing software, then of course you want that indemnity yeah. and you kind of, you know, you can imagine the lawyer kind of saying, yeah, whatever, give me the indemnity. You put it in there. You know, you should be vetting what you put in your code, even if it's right. developed by a third party, yeah. which open source software would. And if you're on the um, provider side, the licensor side, you're saying, like Mark said, no, I'm, I'll indemnify you against what I have control over, what I built, but I'm not gonna, I'm gonna carve out my indemnities over any third party code, which is mostly gonna be open source. And then you just sort of fight back and forth over that and maybe, you know, and there's various ways to do that. I, I think that the industry standard, I know Mark may disagree with me, would be to carve it out. I mean, you're gonna carve out the open source software uh, anyway will, out of other license terms, I, I, you're probably going to carve it out of that too. I will disagree a little bit, Jelani, in that largely sort of the sausage making side of doing enterprise solutions that may or may not include, and, and frankly they all at this point include some open source components, even if it's just client side stuff, is that um, there is definitely kind of a risk calculus internally on the nature of the project, right? So if you want to go out and you want to you want to license a solution that includes the Apache server, you can have a high degree of confidence. If you want to go out and you want to license a solution and indemnify for a solution that contains code from two Russian guys in a garage, then you know that's obviously a very different kind of calculus. And in some cases, enterprise developers will make the conscious decision, we will encounter this risk, and we will stand essentially as an insurer for this widely accepted open source project. And that gets down to the very, very fine strokes of allocating risk that people should hire you and me to help them with. Well, right. I mean, I think that just bubbles up to your governance of open source in your company. So if you're talking about indemnities and how that's going to save you in the end, to me, that's like back-end lawyering. I mean, I don't... If you're relying on those indemnities, it's already hit the fan. You know, but better yet, but, like but Mark just are, said... Companies are asking. If they're licensing software sure, but, somebody, but, but to somebody, they want to protect To Mark's point, if part of your internal governance process is, and your open source policy is, when we decide to include an open source, any open source software in our product that we're going to ship and sell to you, that we vet that project not just on the licensing terms, but on security and also on sort of the viability of the project. Like, where is it coming from, and how trustworthy is that? Right, and ultimately, ultimately, then you might feel okay giving that indemnity because you're like, you know, I think that project has things together, and and I'll take that risk, that risk calculus. But so you know, so it goes back and forth. I mean. The more you know about what what's going into your code base and the better your processes are on the front end and, and the better educated your engineers are and your developers are, then the better position you are when you come to that negotiation table to be like, yeah, fine, okay, 
Yeah, we'll give you that indemnity because we're not worried about it because the risk calculus is low. And, and of course, there's a huge difference between, uh, you know, an indemnity from a gigantic, highly capitalized software company and some startup vendor. Right. Right, in in terms of just their ability to stand behind it. So, And then there's the giant specter behind all of it of some ridiculous patent troll. Right. Right, which you don't ever want to indemnify against anyway. Yeah, a lot of the issues we've been talking about are limited to either software developers or to, or to companies that are doing licensing. Talk about these smaller firm lawyers and, and whether they should be thinking about stuff like LibreOffice and open source software, and if so, why they should be thinking about it. I, I heard an episode, and I, regrettably I forget which of the Legal Talk Network podcasts it was on, but I, I heard an We're episode. We're just glad you're listening to them, I, I heard an That's episode about a husband and wife law firm that was the union of two older lawyers, one of whom um, was a devoted Mac aficionado, and the other was a hardcore like Windows user, never exposed to. to were they divorce lawyers? Product. I hope <laughs> <laughs> they were actually. Yes, I think they were in North Carolina, and they kind of merged two practices together as they merged their lives together. Lee Rosen, and, not Lee Rosen, and it was a really interesting story. And I think that the thing that's sort of never considered is that there is another alternative out there that is certainly growing in usability and gaining slowly, but definitely gaining um, share. And that is that there are Linux operating systems that are widely available and a very, very rich environment of tools that, that exist there too. That said, you certainly do not have to migrate all the way into some strange new operating system to take advantage of the very usable desktop tools that are created as parts of open source projects. And for many years, there's been a, a, an effort to, to be able to free folks from the tyranny of, of the Microsoft Office license. And uh, I, I note, probably with uh, some degree of admiration, the, the ability of Microsoft and certainly Adobe to take their old business of you buy a box of software or you buy a license to a piece of software to, no, just pay us every year a nice regular, a recurring revenue stream for, for these desktop products. Yeah. Office 365 and the new Adobe, is it's, it's a monthly subscription. Right. Cheaper if you buy them annually. But there are alternatives. And for those of us like me who have um, a kind of ridiculous number of computers in their household running on lots of different different operating systems. The idea, even with very permissive kind of subscription licensing, or even with the old TechNet licenses from Microsoft, that makes sense if you have two or three computers, but if you are like me and you have 27 computers running in your house... Yeah, everybody needs, just, just an FYI, everyone needs 27 computers running in their house <laughs> because you absolutely need 27. Just, just to make the electric company tires If you have anything less than 27 computers running in your house, you're way behind the times. Sorry, carry yeah, on, Mark. Yes, and I do <laughs> fanatically manage my network structure at the house. I just uh, want to say that, you know, normally at this point on our podcast, we make some odd reference to the weird things around us in the Mad Lab, a.k.a. Mark's office My, my Mad Scientist Lab-ish, yeah. whatever, which has a collection of various computers and mantiques, as we've probably mentioned on previous <laughs> episodes. <Mantiques>. However, <laughs> here I'm happy to say we are... Gladly surrounded by beer gear, barrels, kegs, and barrel aging beer and fermentation other hoppers. fermentation yeah. paraphernalia. It's really quite a wonderful environment. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little lost. Can, this is a I should have brought like seven laptops with me. 
a much nicer environment than this that. is what I always it's, thought your environment was. I, mean, I kind of think listening to your podcast, thinking you guys are like going off to these different breweries and sitting there and well, we do recon the breweries, but typically we bring all the beer back to the Mad Lab. But in we any don't case, have a when, Lawrence in our case. When when you have Lawrence. when you have a ridiculous number of computers, the idea of of actually I think you we know, need to add you to the Legal Talk Network. I Trent. will rent Lawrence to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm deferring to Trent on this, but Trent, we ought to bring them into the Legal Talk Network. And the, the idea of buying a bunch of software licenses for for the fleet of machines. You know, my kids have desktop computers, laptop computers. I and my partner have desktop computers, laptop computers, workout computers, arcade. But, but, arcade but most of our listeners are not nerds. Most of our listeners do not have more than you know one computer per attorney in their office. True. That said, you know, in the context of like making the switch to Mac, making the switch to Linux is just as easy and... It's just as easy, but why? I mean, the question is why? Ethics. Ethics. I know there are some (laughs) ethics requirements for lawyers. Wait, wait, wait. Different subject. I apologize. Um, No, I like it. Talk talk to me about ethics. What are the ethics? What are the ethical issues for why? There's probably a proper separation of work versus life. We're going to rewind to our presentation yesterday, Bob, and talk about OneDrive and and, uh, having your your client confidential materials in a cloud you don't control and encryption protocols and things like that. No, but seriously, uh, just I want to hear what Boops thinks the lawyerly ethics requirements are for technology. Oh no! Well, I actually really enjoyed the uh, the presentation you did yesterday. I, I listened to it, it today. I was going to say you weren't there. By listening, <laughs> that's to it, why you enjoyed it. I listened to it in my in my car <laughs> and uh, on the way down to Aurora. So, okay. Um, it was uh, it was actually quite quite nice that that a lawyer has a responsibility to be on top of the of the technology. I thought that was a brilliant point. I kind of hope that that some of that would be spliced into this. Uh, this process. Well, My comment before it's was already going to be the longest lawyer to lawyer episode <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, well, it's already way over. My comment before probably was a little bit off key, was a little bit on the uh, the dark edge that a lawyer who's doing professional business on one computer should probably be doing the Facebook YouTube Tinder <laughs> etc cetera, etc cetera, on another computer. We will I'm, mention I'm we will not, mention the recent uh, Drexel Law School scandal of a professor posting a rather interesting link and sending it out to all of her students, which actually prompted a very, very crappy response by her. So long story short, law professor, I think it was Drexel, posted uh, out in their student communication system a link to like some kind of porn site. It involved beads of some kind or another. Um, in any case, all the students got it. It was a huge scandal. It was on Above the Law. It was no, all did over she the place. Ma- uh, pardon me. Did she mean to post that to the biology feed? <laughs> no, Because no. there are, you know, there's... I hope no, one of our no. panelists can explain this beads issue. I, I don't... <laughs> oh, Bob. They don't go around your neck, my friend. I'm kidding. I don't want them to. We're not on this show. I think even the word my beads is going to have to be beeped out. In any case, she, she posted this very sort of horrible response about how it was beneath the dignity of her students and the world to comment on this salacious and interesting topic. So obviously a a bit of a fumble there, but we also showed an example at at our session yesterday about a a lawyer who was a trial lawyer who showed in front of the jury an unredacted deposition video recording that included information in a medical malpractice trial about insurance coverage, which you can't show to the jury, and he was immediately summoned up to the bench, 
uh, after showing this video to the jury, realizing it was, he had simply clicked on the wrong icon on his laptop and played this video in front of the jury, he went up to the bench for a bench conference to be scolded by the judge, promptly fainted in the courtroom, and then the defendant, doctor, in the medical malpractice case that he was suing, came around to attend to him and, and check and make sure he was okay. So uh, there, there are lots of or ethics make, issues or around. Or maybe make sure that he was dying. That, that's multiple a, levels of irony there. We'll call that a, we'll call that a prescription we were, for an we, instant Mark, mistrial. Mark and I did a panel yesterday for the Association of Corporate Counsel of Colorado on the ethical duty of lawyers to be competent in technology, and it's a it's a scary issue. It's a fascinating issue, uh, and one we could do a whole it is. other show. Yeah, on. I and, mean, I, I think just to sort of try to bring it back and gather up this <laughs> this stray strands we've, we've do thrown that, out there. I, I want to talk about LibreOffice. Yeah, yeah. So I do too. Let's talk so, about LibreOffice. Mean, we'll go ahead. And two hours think, ago we were talking about LibreOffice. Uh, we're going back to so that now. Thank you, Bob, for explaining what the the panel was that you referenced and that Boots referenced. And I think, you know, <laughs> I found it was a, a, a started really... LibreOffice well, at the beginning yeah, of this podcast. Well, yeah, ethics training CLEs uh, for lawyers tend to be... Um, now for a word from our sponsor, LibreOffice. <laughs> to Boots' point, I, I always find them to be, you know, especially in, usually involving social media and usually involving this, like, oh, my God, it's, you know, just don't be an idiot kind of yeah. messages. So I think that the, the topics that you guys talked about were a little more, you know, close to the bone and a little more... Relevant to people just don't have any integrity. Or she means whatsoever. a little bit nerdier. <laughs> but um, anyway, back to LibreOffice. I mean, I think, you know, the interesting thing to me, based on the ethical duty of lawyers to be up to date with technology, and that's not the right wording of the various opinions you guys cited, which I think could be interesting in and of itself because it'd be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But, um, you know, what would it take if emailing Word documents with track changes back and forth and no one has even consistency in the document form, the formatting, the way you do, you know, so now we're in the context of an, a contract negotiation, the way you record your changes and how you annotate that. I mean, everyone has their own method, right? I mean, I think I remember getting a PDF from one lawyer, this is not that long ago, who printed the document I had sent him and then re literally redlined it in handwriting and then scanned it and sent it back to me. And I thought, oh my God, really? You don't know how to use track changes? Are you sure he didn't fax he it to you, Jillian? Anyway. <laughs> he chiseled it in. Yeah, yeah. You know, he I faxed thought, it to you. I mean, I remember people being like, oh, there's track. What's this track change? How did yeah. you do that? You know, so this is, and this is just within one program. Word. Yeah. And I understand and I'm sympathetic to whatever program you're used to, assuming you're used to a software program, that it's hard to change. And so even as someone who's pretty adept in, in Microsoft Office Word, because that's what I've used to go and then yeah. switch to Libre Document, whatever it's called, LibreOffice, yeah. the document version. Doc, yeah. Yeah. It takes, right? a, it, it takes a little bit of a learning curve, for yeah. sure, but... But Libre is fully compatible with Word. Uh, it is, well... borderline fully compatible. Uh, uh, LibreOffice well, Libre is as compatible with Microsoft Office, I think, as perhaps Mac Office is with Windows Office. Okay. There, well, there are a set of filters. It's, it's well, it's not too incompatible, so you things. can't... So this is what we were starting to talk about before the, before the break. I mean, you can't start a document in... Microsoft Word and save it in ODF, which is the for, which is the free standard. O, you know, ODF is the suffix. We, I was trying to cue Chad up to explain that, but 
doc or docx is your suffix on your documents that you save in Word. ODF is the format for LibreOffice and and OpenOffice. Say, right? So I'm, I'm way out of my o- ODF league here. ODF document format. Uh, yeah. Right, ODF document format, right. But at some point, this is and I out. feel this was like in the recent past, let's say five years, was there not a situation where, this is where my lawyering is, of course, totally irrelevant because I'm not a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there a decision that, you know, say public documents or government documents had to be in a format that was readable in some in, in a non-proprietary format? In, in some countries, I does think that, Brazil does that, has like a governmental initiative. I think okay. some of these municipalities. And is that relevant and to this? States. Yeah, some okay. of these there municipalities. Have been some states that have been talking about that. Just for yeah. public record searching yeah. and stuff. They look at yeah. XML or something. For right. Not to get too nerdy, but I think the docx formats are actually XML formats. Okay, you've never and been so to currently nerdy, by Microsoft the way. is not bound to this particular standard, or so Jelaine, uh, as of Microsoft Office System Service Pack SP2, you can save in ODF form or in ODT format from Word. Okay, so are we saying? Are you saying that? Lawyers should be using LibreOffice instead of using Microsoft uh, what Office, I'm saying, or that they should be knowledgeable about it to use it as an adjunct in some way. What I'm saying is that, especially if you have a large fleet of computers and you want to save 19 money and make 27, 27, yeah, whatever. There is a viable alternative to Microsoft Office, or even to the you know the the Mac. A viable and free alternative. Viable and free. And the compatibility, I think, at this point is far greater than it has been in past years. So LibreOffice is a full-featured office suite. How does Libre handle PDF? LibreOffice actually dumps PDF quite nicely. But, of course, Office has done that for a couple versions as well. PDF's not a proprietary format, Uh, right? PDF is a weird format. PDF is a controlled but public format from from Adobe, right? And and there's so many. I've worked in advertising for 15 years, so there's many flavors of PDF, including for, you know, color separations and things like that. But for for lawyer work, for documents and document exchange, OpenOffice or LibreOffice both dump to PDF far more readily than than anything did in the past. Of course, again, Office does that fairly well on its own now. That said, yeah, so it's an alternative Office suite, and the idea of having this available as part of a hosted or online-based solution is super interesting because there are a bunch of tools in within LibreOffice, including their, their database product, and one of the limitations really for the open source Office suites has been that there is no kind of online component to complement their alternative to access. And the idea, if they can build, um, the developers that are working on this can build a backplane for that that makes those server-based, that opens like a wild world of of sort of shortcut development that could be terribly useful to lawyers to implement a contracts database or implement a client database on the fly hosted on a free software platform that can be shared amongst many people as opposed to just sort of sending around Files, so I, I think it's it's pretty exciting for for that potential. Interesting. So we are breaking the world record for the length of a lawyer to lawyer podcast, and uh, I think you signed up for it, Bob. <laughs> I, and, and we're on the record for the shortest ever Fosbear podcast. <laughs> well, we're not done yet. So okay, so you said that you kind of wrap up your podcast by talking about the beer. 
we so do. Is this a good time where we can yeah, talk about the beer? <laughs> we can wow. we can do that and talk about Barrels beer. And what we who have, wants well, to go first? Who wants to talk about the beer and what well, have we been drinking? I think here? I Boops think I'd like man? to start because I'm pretty sure that the uh, the beer is going to hit me pretty soon. When I said we had a Jolly and a Lovejoy last name. We also have a Beer Man last name, so that's perfect. That's, uh, yeah, well, uh, look look we'll him up on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Also, beer man. a Wisconsin native. So. Oh yes, and a Wisconsin native. So he can also talk to us about cheese. I'm a big fan of the beers, and I think I love the fact that every beer has. I believe that barrels is a bit of a, a barrel age. That was that's kind of a little bit of a stick to have. Yeah, that's we're surrounded beer, by barrels here. We have, that's we, the we, pun. We that Obviously, clear. that's the pun. A, every beer has a little bit more flavor at the end than you would expect. So it's not if you're if you come to barrels beer expecting a Coors Light, you're probably in the wrong spot because there's you, you get the initial to, flavor that's like solid Colorado and then expecting Coors Light you should just leave. <laughs> just head up to Golden and do the brewery tour. Wasn't and the general hand counsel you. from Coors at our and, and yes, your council did, yesterday? Yes, did one of the sessions yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. it, it wasn't so. the GC, but it was actually that guy was super interesting. It I, was I really thought. good. He, he was yeah. probably the best speaker yes, on that. But panel. so boost we got you. So boost, so which I beers did you have? Oh, I had the coffee, which was oh shoot. Now there's all sorts of words and names and things. Uh, so there's a coffee. There was a smoke. I had a nice mix. Uh, there was a, a wine barrel beer. So at this point, I'm about 12 in. So to, to they're re- about out of beer. We're, to recall we're... all of them, it would be fruitless. And the fact that you can't get them in a store means you, you got one place. To, you have one place to find them. And this is a really nice neighborhood. Yeah. And this and is I'm a nice tap room, too. Brewery. Really a beautiful place. Bathrooms, probably the cleanest and nicest bathrooms <laughs> wait, I've wait. seen in Boops. a brewery they, ever. Boops, can I just say that this Spoken is the, from a man. the fanciest restrooms in any tap room I've ever seen, including, I felt quite posh with the cloth towels that cloth were provided towels. for my use. Yes, yes, cloth towels. <laughs> oh, my God. That was amazing. Anyway, Mark, you, tell you, me what beers did you have? I had uh, first the wine barrel aged saison. Um, it was delightful. You could definitely taste the sort of wine overtones. Too. Ooh, delightful! Really, nice really word, nice. By the way, um, they say there are Merlot barrels here. Or I see a ca- I see a Malbec barrel right over your Malbec over your here. shoulder there, Bob. Malbec. Uh, a- after that, I had the uh, rye Belgian. Which was really, really nice. You could definitely taste the rye. And um, you can't remember I'm past that point. Oh sure. Again. Really? I, yeah, then I had wow. the co- then I had the coffee Alcoholic stout. Alcoholic right here. The coffee stout was was really nice. And the one that's in front of me is the uh, mild English ale. Um, I don't remember the name. The Antero. Antero, but it's extremely good. And it's nice as opposed to the usual Foss beer episodes where we're drinking all like ten plus percent alcohol beers. This one is very, very drinkable and Quite nice. The only one I didn't like was one of Jelaine's. But uh, so at four out of five, I didn't like the Band-Aid beer. But, oh. uh, but all, this one <laughs> is the, fan- the smoke beer. This, yeah. The, and, and that's just a, you know, a smoke beer preference thing. But all four of the beers that I actually had myself were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I encourage a pilgrimage to barrels. Nobody spoke of Band-Aid. Nobody thought Band-Aid until it was brought Sorry. up by... It was Jelaine who... Uh, are you producer? What, what's your official title over there? Uh, He's the boss. My oh, was the boss. title is... Uh, Band-Aid uh, Seed Mind in the Mind guy. <laughs> I, I feel like the Band-Aid is like those super tasters that can, you know, taste the blue and the blue M&Ms. 
I got nothing. Right. Yeah. It's just there's something about smoked beers that tastes like Band-Aid to me. So my apologies for even throwing that out no, there. No, complete brain. You threw it out very there. Accurate. Yeah, absolutely yeah. Very accurate. Absolutely threw it out. It's it's your Boy Scout pass that <laughs> brings that. Jelaine, you you had some Boy kind Scout of a future. fruity thing, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I started with the peach and blondage. It was quite good. Which blondage. Which definitely had a. Yeah, it's appropriate. It had that a peach fun. nose. It was very nice. And then I moved on to the Seasonal Wald, a.k.a. the Smoky Band-Aid beer, which I didn't really capture the Band-Aid thing until Trent said that. <laughs> and I finished with Antero L, which I would agree with Mark, was really, really nice. All around good. So I think you're suggesting that Blonde is a sort of a disciplined beer. So join three beers all night. Well done. Way to live up to our name. Three beers. <laughs> Thanks. Seriously. Mark just handed me a band-aid. Yeah. You don't Mark, want me to have one. Mark just named seven to eight beers. <laughs> I like that. I had all 13. <laughs> and you had three? You guys are bigger than me. It, it Bob, chat? how many do you have? You, I've not, seen not you have as, at least six. No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't so think so. Bob, what do so, you have? So, well, wait a minute. Chad works next door, so he knows what beer to drink here. I do indeed, and it is an equal level of awesome and danger working next to a brewery, having one door between you and a brewery. <laughs> oh, amen, brother. Uh, so <laughs> they do. They share a wall. Yeah, so it's it's it's. Uh, yeah, we share a door, yeah. And, and there, it there is, is a it, point of entry between that, here and... Yeah. You guys open the space, right? Is this your we space? In, we intentionally keep it locked so we actually have to go outside to come into barrels. Just, just to keep... Yeah, we, so we, we can't just, day. like, stumble in. We have to... It's intentional, yeah. I saw the infrastructure in your guys' office. I'm not buying that there's not a direct feed into one of those refrigerators <laughs> over there. It's it a fair assessment, Mark. There's a tap <laughs> in the Legal Talk Network. So when I walk into barrels, I, I immediately go for the Paper Moon, which is a uh, pale ale. And that is how usually uh, Lawrence, our producer, and I will... We call this conference room B, actually. So we have <laughs> conference room A over in the, in the real office and conference room B over here. And uh, we'll usually start out with a pale ale. And it's a dynamite way to end the day. How do I get a job like that? I gotta <laughs> go to more meetings like that. Trent, Trent what's your... Uh, just like my uh, Michael Bolton collection, <laughs> I celebrate it all. So anything, anything on the chalkboard, I'm down with. But typically, it's the uh, it's the paper moon, or the light catcher, the the stout, which is phenomenal. But uh, these guys don't do a, a bad beer. The fire catcher, if you like barrel aged beers, is ridiculous. I don't know if you guys tried it, any of that, but silly if you like barrel aged stuff. Well, can, can we get a weigh-in for our producer, Lawrence Coletti? Oh, the, Lawrence. the night is young. I'm going to try one of those. Well, it's yours. Very quiet tonight. Our producer. Can we can we get quietly hey, featuring the Lawrence, debut hey, of Lawrence, the producer in the Legal Talk? A thirty-minute recap and a touch on every Wait. topic. <laughs> as you are probably one of the, you are probably at least in the top six most educated people at this table. A round of applause for our producer, Lawrence. In my experience, she's seemed like Clay. the most intelligent. Who's been, who's been quietly right. recording all this right. whole so here's, crazy here's, episode. Let, let's make this happen. One minute touch on every topic tonight. <laughs> Lawrence, ready, go. 
Okay, so we uh, we opened up with a discussion about technology. Louder, Lawrence. Louder, louder. Te- technology <laughs> and closer law. to the mic, Lawrence. Close. Yeah, <laughs> Bob's giving me a hard time here. But uh, no, we started with law technology, and then there was something about Ruby on Rails, which I'm not exactly sure what it is. It sounds nice. And then we had a digression, I guess, from, uh, from this table to a reload for beers. And then I remember something about ping pong. Was it ping pong? <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, okay. That Maybe was that's when floor. I fell asleep. Yeah. And so, and then we come back to this. We're talking about beers. But my favorite beer, and they don't have it right now, is um, what's that one? Uh, Afternoon Delight. Yeah. Yes. I hear rumors it's not coming back, but it is my favorite. But my second favorite is definitely Paper Moon. <laughs> and that's all I got. All right. Awesome. Well, Good. Good. Yeah. Oh, so well, Bob, back one, to you. So Good. Well, I, I guess I boringly just drank the same beer all night, the Paper Moon. I, I like an IPA. You like and you this, like. this was a sort of a lightly hoppy uh, sort of IPA. They don't have an IPA here. But uh, it was they have, good. They have a hop. Good pale for them, ale, right? by the way. It good was a hoppy pale ale, right? And that, it was, that's it was a, very that's a very rebellious stance for a brewery to take in in these days and ages. Yeah, overhopped world yeah. we live in. I mean, you 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 introduced me to a double uh, IPA last night. That was have you recovered? Really good. What was that? That was uh, that was a Titan. Titan. That was very good. Oh, oh yes, the Titan double. Good. So that was that was everybody's everybody's the Titan a double. Yeah, that was that's a is the Titan a double? Yeah. Is it? Okay. Right. That's what the label punch, says. Yeah. If you can believe if you can read believe what you read. It's only ten percent yeah. alcohol though. Oh that oh. explains a lot. So I think that wraps up this episode. I have no idea. I'm I'm lost at the uh, in the, uh, <laughs> the non- course of this, but <laughs> I, I want to really thank Draylen kind of podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to listen to this but us and, and, and our parents, maybe. <laughs> Wait, our, our, we, hey, Fosbier has a listener. We, you, and oh, Fosbier's listener. We, can, we, can we give a shout out to our listener? Yeah, of course. Hey, listener, <laughs> we're looking at you. <laughs> we've managed to take some IOT, pop it in your bedroom, and we're watching you as you listen to us. So thanks for listening. Well, Fosbier, or as I call it, Fos Plus Beer, because that's what their name says. It's a great podcast to listen to. We really appreciate them taking the time to be with us. And uh, I'm happy to be able to sit here with the people from the Legal Talk Network and have them join us tonight. This has been a lot of fun. It's a great, really appreciate a great kind of, of convergence of things, Bob. I was, I was uh, super happy to, to know that you'd be on my panel. And then when we figured out that we could all do this together and kind of bring the, the, your podcast to our podcast and do it with Legal Talk Network and, and do it in a brewery. brewery, which we wow. talked about. But thanks for making that happen. Yeah, our first yeah. episode. So thanks to Legal Talk Network and thanks to you, Bob. You're here. I guess Cheers. that's it. Good Cheers. night. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.